Last week, we started a new series. We're entitling it Before and After. We talked kind of about before and after pictures. We talked about taking a spiritual selfie, so to speak, and saying, this is where I am today, but I'm going to drive a stake in the ground, and I'm not going to be this person tomorrow or the next day or three months from now, certainly, that I'm going to make some changes in my life so that I can be transformed. I'm going to make some small, incremental, intentional changes so that I can experience some long-term results, right? We all want to be better, don't we? Don't we? Amen, yeah? We want to be better. We, we look at our life and we say, there's some things that aren't the way that they're supposed to be. I know that as a disciple of Jesus, or as a husband, or as a father, or as a wife, or a mother, a neighbor, we talked last month a lot about love, and a lot of us looked at our lives and we said, you know what, I, I need to make some changes. The way that I feel about some people, the way that I talk to some people, the way that I treat some people isn't the way I'm supposed to. It doesn't match up with what Jesus has told me to do. It doesn't match up with how Jesus has told me to feel and to talk to people. And so I need to make some changes in my life. And the only way that we can make those changes is to be intentional about it, is to say, this is where I am, but I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm going to start making some changes. And so this month we're talking especially about transforming our Bible study in order to transform our lives. Next month, we'll talk about prayer. And then the month after that, we'll talk about service. So I really want to get practical with how do we transform our Bible study? How do we get better at studying the Bible? We all know studying the Bible is a good thing to do, right? And we all know we should. We all know we should read it and we should go to Bible classes and listen to sermons and that we should have private devotional time. We all know it's a good thing to do, but frankly, it's a little overwhelming sometimes, isn't it? It might be intimidating for many of us. We all know that we're not supposed to pull verses out of context. We know that that word context, whatever that means, that it's important. But how, how, what does that mean? What does it mean to read something in context or pay attention to the context or consider the context? How do I make sure that I'm not pulling something out of its intended context? It, for many of us, this can be a very intimidating thing to do and to think through. And so I want to give us some really practical things that we can do to change our Bible study with the intention that it changes our life. Not just to be better Bible studiers, not just to be better students and say, I'm really knowledgeable or I can quote this or I can quote that, but to really transform our lives by being better at digging into God's Word. Here's one of the things that that I think that we need to realize about ourselves is how we read the Bible tends to be like we're reading a reference book, doesn't it? We, We tend to read the Bible like we're reading a reference book. We tend to read the Bible like it's a a dictionary or an encyclopedia. You know, I, I said encyclopedia in my notes and I thought, do we, do we still use encyclopedias? I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I, maybe we do Google. Uh, but, but, but that's how we tend to treat the Bible, isn't it? Like it's an encyclopedia. We say, what does the Bible say about such and such? And maybe we know how to use a concordance. So we go to the bi- back of our Bible and we say, okay, there's a verse on this subject. And then we kind of flip over there and we say, okay, that's what the Bible says on this subject. We treat it like a reference book, like a dictionary or like an encyclopedia. And we mainly focus on Bible verses, 
right? When I was growing up, we, we talked a lot about you need to quote book, chapter, and verse, right? Book, chapter, and verse. You know what? Here's an interesting thing. Do you know that the verses weren't put there by God? Do you know that? God didn't put those little numbers in our Bible. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. God didn't put those little chapter numbers or verse numbers in there. We put those in there to make things easier to find. But over time, that's become the primary way that we've learned how to read the Bible. Is we say, what does the Bible say on this subject? And then we'll try to find the little verse number that says something about that, like we're reading something in a dictionary or an encyclopedia. Here's my advice for us as Christians. If we're going to be better at studying the Bible, then we have to study books of the Bible more than verses. Okay? It's not to say the verses are bad or wrong or cross out all the verse numbers and nothing like that. And I'm not saying that it's not important to know verses and be able to quote important verses. But if we're really going to improve our Bible study, then we've got to study books more than verses. We've got to focus on whole books rather than just on the verses. We have to um, stop treating the Bible like a dictionary or an encyclopedia. In fact, that brings up an interesting subject. When we pick up any book off of the shelf, whether that be a book we're reading for fun or for school or for work, or maybe it's we go to the library. We still go to libraries, right? Yeah, uh, schools still have libraries, I think, right? So, I mean, you, you go to the library and you pick a book up off the shelf and you start reading it. You need to know what kind of a book it is, right? You, you need to know what genre of book it is so that you know how to read it, right? If you were in my How to Study the Bible class, we talked a lot about that, didn't we? That if you pick up a phone book, maybe that's one we don't use a whole lot anymore, right? But uh, when you pick up a phone book, you need to know that's a phone book, right? It's not a novel. And if you try to read it like a novel, you're going to think, well, that's the most boring book I ever read in my whole life, right? If you pick up a dictionary, you need to know that it's a dictionary. If you pick up a cookbook, you need to know this is a cookbook and what it's intended to communicate and how it goes about communicating that. And, you know, here's the thing. A lot of us don't realize what the Bible is. If we think the Bible is a dictionary or an encyclopedia or a list of religious laws, and we think that's primarily what the Bible is, then we might be very confused when we try to read it. In fact, you've heard the little acronym before, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? If you think that's what the Bible is, then you might be confused when you read stories about things horrible people did to each other. How is that instructions for my life, right? And so we need to know what the Bible is. And if you were in my How to Study the Bible class, again, I'm probably going to reference that a lot. But if you were in that class, you probably remember what my definition is anyway of what the Bible is, right? That it is a library, right? It's not one book. That's, That's one thing about the Bible that some people don't realize, that the Bible is a book and that it's all contained together, but it really is a library of books, It's a library, not just of any books, but prophetic books. We'll talk about that in a minute. But books that men who were speaking on God's behalf by the power of the Holy Spirit wrote. So it's a library of prophetic books. And and you need to think of it like a library, not just like one book, because you've got different genres of books within the pages of the Bible. So the Bible is a library of prophetic books, a library of books written by prophets of God, men who were speaking for God on God's behalf through the power of the Spirit. The library, the Bible is a library of prophetic books about God and about being God's covenant people. 
That's what the Bible's about. It's about God and being God's covenant people. First, His covenant people of Israel, and then later, His covenant people of Jew and Gentile in the church, right? Because sometimes we ask questions like, well, why doesn't the Bible talk about uh, the dinosaurs? Why doesn't the Bible talk about this or that? Well, because the Bible wasn't intended to convey every bit of scientific information. It, it wasn't intended to give a detailed account of every single thing that's happened since the very beginning. That, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a library of prophetic books about God and about being God's covenant people. That's what the Bible is. It gives you all the information you need to know in order to be God's covenant people. There are going to be other things you wonder about? Sure, absolutely. The Bible isn't intended to give you every little detail about every little thing. In fact, in John's gospel account, when John wrote about the life of Jesus, he said that even a bunch of the stuff that Jesus did in his lifetime wasn't written down in his gospel account. He said if everything Jesus did was written down, the world couldn't contain the books that would be written. And the same is true with any subject. There's all kinds of things that we wonder about and are curious about that the Bible doesn't talk about. Why? Because the Bible is primarily about being God's covenant people. And the Bible is made up of different books, 66 books, written by prophets of God that teach you what it means and what it looks like to be the covenant people of God. That's an exciting subject. That could, if you just invest yourself in knowing that, there's no better thing in the world to know. So let's kind of walk through the Bible. And again, for some of you, this may be review, but I think it's important to remind ourselves how the Bible is organized. At least our English Bible in the 21st century hasn't always been the way things have been organized, but it typically is now. So here's how the Old Testament is organized. The first five books of the Old Testament are books of law, okay? So you have Genesis through Deuteronomy, first five books, the Torah or the law or the Pentateuch, the books of Moses that teach us about how God brought the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery and gave to them his instructions about how to live as his covenant people when they got to the land of Canaan. So you have those first five books that are primarily about that. And then you have 12 books of history that go from Joshua when they conquered the land of Canaan all the way to Esther and the captivity that was going on after they failed to live as God's covenant people and were taken into Assyrian and then Babylonian, which turned into Medo-Persian captivity. And so you have these 12 books of history that tell the story of God's covenant people, how they obeyed sometimes, how they disobeyed sometimes, but how God was faithful to keep his promises all throughout that time period. Okay, so you have uh, law and then history, and then you have five books of poetry, right? Job through Song of Solomon. Some of this is wisdom poetry. Some of it is praise poetry. But you have to read poetry differently than you read history, right? We know that, don't we? If we walk into the library and we go over to the poetry section and we pull a book off the shelf, and I I don't really understand poetry. I struggle with roses are red and violets are blue. I don't understand all that fancy talk. Just tell me what you mean. But, But when you pull a book off the shelf of poetry, you know you can't read that the same way you would an encyclopedia. You can't read that the same way you would a novel. You have to read them, and the word is interpret them differently, right? You have to understand them in the context of the genre in which they were written. So you need to understand that those five books 
are, are poetic, okay? So you've got law and then history and then poetry. And then you have five, five books that we call the major prophets. The major prophets and then 12 books that we call the minor prophets. Now it's not that those five are more important than the last 12. It's that those books are longer and, uh, and, and just longer, bigger books than the 12 that come after. So you have the major prophets and the minor prophets. So again, when you read those books, you need to know, I'm reading a book of prophecy, okay? That God was speaking to his covenant people at that specific time to tell them what they needed to know about living as his covenant people. And not only is it applicable to the people of that time, but God's covenant people at that time knew that later generations of God's covenant people would need to know this information, right? That it would apply to later generations of his people, even though the situation will have changed somewhat. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. And then it, all of that culminates in who coming? Jesus, right? Jesus. So Jesus comes, and now we have this new covenant that God has made through his son, right? That he has made a, a new covenant people that's made up of both Jew and Gentile that put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so the first four books of the New Testament, we call the Gospels or the Gospel accounts, the, the retelling of the good news about Jesus, about how he came in, in human flesh and how he died and was buried and rose from the dead and as he reigns as king over all creation over all the world. In heaven and on earth, he has all authority. So those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell the story of Jesus and his life and ministry on the earth. All right? If we don't understand that, we'll read Matthew, and then we'll read Mark, and we'll say, wait a second, I think I've heard this before, right? And then we'll read Luke, and we'll say, wait, I know I've heard this before. And we'll read these, and we'll say, well, why are we repeating ourselves? Because these were four different accounts of Jesus' story for four different audiences, to tell the story in such a way so as to help them to realize who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for mankind and what his kingdom and his forgiveness are all about. So we have those first four books of the New Testament, the gospel accounts. And then we have one book of history that we call it the Acts of the Apostles, how the apostles, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, went out and took from Jerusalem that good news about Jesus to the entire world, okay? And so, or the known world at the time anyway. So four books of the Gospels, one book of history. Then you have 13 books that are Paul's epistles. That's kind of a fancy word, but really we're just talking about letters, right? Paul writes letters, and that goes all the way from the book of Romans to Philemon, and all of those books are titled to the people that they're addressed to, right? And so Paul has written letters to churches and individuals about God and about being God's covenant people, right? To tell them, yeah, you're messing up. Don't, don't do that. That's not how God's covenant people live. Stop that. Or keep doing that. That's good. That's how God's covenant people are supposed to live. Or I just wanted to remind you that, that this is how God's covenant people are supposed to live. Or I just wanted to remind you this is who God is and what God has done for his covenant people. Right? And so you have Paul's epistles, Paul, one of the apostles, and then you have the general epistles from Hebrews all the way to Jude, eight books, where other New Testament apostles and their associates write to churches and to individuals about God and being God's covenant people. And then finally, an apocalyptic book, the book of Revelation, uh, the last and the final book of the New Testament. So here's the advice. 
And you might say, well, that's the most boring stuff I ever heard, Wes. But it's important, okay? Even if you think it's dry or dull, it's important. Because if you're going to be a student of the Bible, then you need to know what you're reading, right? So here's the advice. Know the books that you're reading. Know what type of book you're reading. Is this a letter? Because it needs to be read like a letter. Is this a book of poetry? Because it needs to be read like poetry. Is this a book of prophecy? Because it needs to be read like prophecy. And so know what type of book you're reading and study the whole book. Know what type of book it is and study the whole book if you can. Now, now I, I understand that it takes some time to read through a whole book and you're not going to sit down with the book of Psalms probably and read from Psalm 1 all the way to the end. That's going to be challenging. Take about five hours. But did you know that half of the books of the Bible, listen, half of the books of the Bible are short enough to be read in 30 minutes or less. Do you know that? I mean, sometimes we talk about, man, you, you really, if you're going to get the gist of a book of the Bible, if you're going to understand the author's train of thought and what he's really trying to say and not pull something out of context, you really need to sit down with the whole book and read from beginning to end. And we say, man, Wes, I don't have time for that. I, just, I, man, I got football games to watch and I got, you know, movies to watch. Oh, those take hours. We're talking about most books of the Bible, most books, half the books can be read in 30 minutes or less, like 40 out of the the 66 books can be read in an hour or less. Really, we can do this. This isn't too difficult for us to do. And I'll tell you, you will be incredibly blessed, incredibly blessed. We all know verses of the Bible. We know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But do you know what the context is talking about? Do you know what John was trying to get across in his gospel account? Do you know why he wrote what he wrote? He, he'll tell you if you just read it, right? I mean, we, we can quote Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But do you know the rest of Peter's sermon right there? Do you know what Peter was talking about on that day of Pentecost? Do you know what he was really trying to get across to his audience? Do you know what Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, was really trying to get across to Theophilus as he wrote that book? Now listen, I'm not talking about Bible scholar stuff. I'm not even a Bible scholar. All of us can sit down and and read through the book, get a translation that you understand that makes sense to you, and sit down with the book and read from the beginning of it to the end of it. And I, I promise you, You'll be blessed. I promise you, you will see stuff that you haven't seen before. In fact, this afternoon, and really, like Mark said, we really encourage you to go to a life group. Even if you're just visiting and you're not a member yet, if you want to go out in the foyer and find a life group that you can meet with this afternoon, because the plan is for you to go and read through a book of the Bible together. A lot of these books of the Bible, even the Old Testament books, were intended to be read publicly to God's covenant people from the beginning of it to the end of it, right? And, and, and man, there's power in it to reading a whole book of the Bible. And I promise you, you'll see things that you never saw before. You say, I, I always knew that verse, but I had no idea that's what Paul was talking about there. I, I didn't really understand the gist of the letter. I didn't really understand his train of thought. That's so important, church, for us to understand the train of thought of the author. Now, I, I don't want to get too far before we actually get into a specific text. You thought I was going to read you a whole book. I'm not going to do that, okay? Second Peter 1, look at verse 16, okay? Second Peter chapter 1, there's those little verse numbers I said we shouldn't pay attention to, right? Uh, verse 16. Now, Second Peter, First Peter, we're studying First and Second Peter in our Bible classes, right? 
Um, and first Peter, Peter really is talking about the external suffering from the people outside of the church. And in Second Peter, he's really talking about the internal struggle. He's talking about the false teachers that have arisen and would arise. And he's trying to inoculate these Christians against false teachers. And that's really what he's trying to do in Second Peter. Look at verse chapter 1 and verse 16. He says this, For we did not, we the apostles, did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's interesting that we talk about skeptics in the 21st century about the gospel and about Jesus and the Bible. They had skeptics in the first century too, right? And what we're trying to communicate, it's a big deal and it's kind of shocking and it, it, it's kind of surprising and it, it's one of those things that it takes a lot to believe, doesn't it? That, that here God came in human flesh and died for our sins and rose from the dead and ascended as king of the world. I mean, that's, that's a lot to take in. Is it a myth? Is it a hoax? Did they just make it up? Well, Peter addresses that. And he says, listen, this isn't a cleverly devised myth. We, we, we didn't swallow hook, line, and sinker, some kind of a myth that somebody passed on to us. Because, listen, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. See, that, that's, that's why I believe the New Testament. Not only do I believe that these writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we'll get to that in a second, but they were eyewitnesses of it, of Jesus, His majesty, His glory, and His resurrection. They, they saw Him with their own eyes. They touched Him with their own hands. They heard His voice. And they knew who he was. Look at verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Do you remember that story when, when Jesus was transfigured, when he, he began to glow and he was bright and Moses and Elijah suddenly appeared there with him and God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. Do you remember that? Peter says, I remember that, not just the story of it. I remember because I was there, right? That's something you don't forget. Peter says, listen, this isn't a myth or a hoax. I'm willing to die for this. I know this is true. Why? Because I was there and I'm an eyewitness of His majesty and His glory. I saw Him. I heard the voice from heaven that said, this is my Son. I know that this is true. And I'm telling you that if you're going to resist the false teachers and the people that are going to lead you astray, you need to know that this message is truer than anything you've ever heard before. He says in verse 19, and... It's almost like, furthermore, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, the the prophetic word, the, the writing of the Scripture of the Old Testament fully confirms what we experience with Jesus. It, it makes it sure. It, 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 they, they prove one another. To which you will do well to pay attention. What's he telling them to do? Pay attention to the Scriptures. Read what's been written. Know the Word. 
know what the prophets that came before had to say. Why? Because they're like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's kind of a poetic way of saying that until it dawns on you who Jesus really is. Uh, Until that light shines into your dark heart and mind and it it fully illuminates the truth about Jesus. Because that's what the scriptures will do. He says, listen, what I'm telling you, what I'm writing to you, I experienced, I, I saw it with my own eyes, I heard it with my own ears, I touched him with my own hands. And furthermore, the prophets that have been writing for hundreds of years, the, the writings that you have, the scriptures that you have, they, they prove one another. And I want you to pay attention and to pay attention to them because as you study these scriptures, it will dawn on you who Jesus really is. These scriptures will illuminate the truth about Jesus. He says this, verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Another way to think of that might be comes from someone's own explanation. The prophets weren't just, weren't just talking off the cuff. They weren't just explaining things from their own point of view when they wrote these things down. These prophecies of scripture didn't come from their own heart or their own mind, Peter said. This wasn't their interpretation of things, their explanation of things. This wasn't their expounding on things. Well, then if it wasn't from them, and they're the ones that wrote it down, where did it come from? Verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe. That not only was the New Testament written by men who were eyewitnesses of it, the apostles, who were specially sent out by God, like Paul and Peter, and their associates. So people who were contemporaries with Jesus, who saw the resurrected Jesus Christ, or walked with and ministered with the men who did. Not only do we believe that, but we believe that what they wrote, and what the prophets wrote for hundreds of years in the Old Testament scriptures... They wrote, not just because they were pondering on something and just writing stuff down off the top of their mind or their heart, but because the Holy Spirit helped guide them to write down what they wrote. So that brings us back to our subject, doesn't it? When we read this, when we read the Bible and study the Bible, we really need to understand what was the author who was being carried along by God's Holy Spirit, what was he really saying? What was his train of thought? What was the gist of the book? Again, it's pretty simple. We need to study books more than verses, right? Where we don't just pull something out of the context and make it say or mean whatever it is that we want to make it say or mean. People have done that oh, for the last 2,000 years, haven't they? And I'm sure they were doing it before that. Just pull stuff out of the context and try to make it mean whatever you want it to mean. You can come up with your own religion. You can come up with your own belief system. If you just pull a verse from over here and a verse from over there, we need to respect the word and say, these prophets wrote not from their own interpretation of things, but they wrote as they were carried along by God's Holy Spirit. And so I need to understand the book. I need to understand the gist of things. I need to understand the author's train of thought. What what was he really saying? What arguments was he making? Last week, as we talked about having the humility 
to accept biblical truth no matter the cost. We talked about the, the, the Jews in Thessalonica and the Jews in Berea. And do you remember in Thessalonica it says that, that Paul argued with them or he, he made arguments about Jesus from the scriptures for three weeks. They had to listen to, those that were persuaded, listen to the entire argument. They knew what Paul was arguing. They knew what point he was trying to make. And church, I'm afraid a lot of times when we say we're Christian people, when we say we we study the Bible and we know the Bible and we love the Bible, sometimes it's just that we love a few verses of the Bible, right? Would you do that with the letter you got from your spouse? Or maybe say when your spouse and you were dating, right? And they sent you a letter. Would you just pull some sentences out of it? Or would you read the whole letter first? Maybe there'd be some good, mushy sentences in the middle of it that you pull out and you'd save those sentences, right? But but you wouldn't do that first. First you'd read the letter. And then you read it again. And you read it again. You know what they were trying to communicate to you. You know the point they were trying to make. You'd do that with any communication that you got, wouldn't you? You'd read the whole thing. And church, this isn't something for an elite group of people. This is something that any of us can do. I understand there's some books of the Bible that are a lot more challenging than other books of the Bible. But sit down with Philippians. Sit down with Ephesians. Sit down with 1 John. And just start at the beginning and read to the end. And you'll be amazingly blessed when you understand this is what the author was saying. This is what God's Holy Spirit was carrying him along to write so that when he wrote to God's covenant people of that time, they would get this message. And then understand how that message still applies to us today. Church, you've got to be a person of the book. I've got to be a person of the book. We as a community, as God's covenant people, have to be people of the book. The only way we know who Jesus is and how to follow him is to be in Scripture. We have to be in Scripture. We have to study God's Word and write it on our hearts and write it on our minds so we're not the kind of people that just pull out verses to prove a point or to argue a point, but we actually know what God's Spirit was saying through these authors when He wrote to the people of that time so we'll know His will for the people of our time. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't begun their journey with Jesus and you've been thinking about it, and you've been studying about it, and you've been reading about it, why not this morning? Why not go ahead and say, I, by faith, want to repent of my sins, put Jesus on in baptism, and walk with Him and His people into and for eternity. Or maybe you just need to get back on track. And we all get off track sometimes, don't we? We all need reminders. We all need encouragement. We all need prayers. We're here for you. We want to help you. We're in this together. There's a room in the back. Elders would love to pray with you, encourage you after services, or you can come forward. Whatever we can do to help you this morning, won't you come as we stand and sing?